we'll start as we always do by taking a look at what's in the Sunday newspapers and our panel in studio to help me do that this morning Grainne Nia reporter with the journal.ie good morning Grainne hello uh, Colette Brown is a barrister and columnist with the Irish Independent good morning Colette good morning and Jared Howland is an Irish Examiner columnist public affairs consultant and a former senior political advisor which is among the longest titles I've ever had to read out for <laughs> any guest on this programme good morning Jared hello Gavin uh, thank you all for coming in to be with us this morning uh, let's take a quick look at what's on the front pages of the Sunday papers uh, we'll start with the tabloids for once the uh, Irish Mail on Sunday Isis Bride let us come home the Irish Daily Mail has tracked down the Irish ex-soldier and her daughter in a Syrian camp uh, she has told Norma Costello who has interviewed her at the Al Hual refugee camp that uh, she and her young daughter appear in good health when interviewed exclusively by the Irish Daily Mail she has this week issued a plea to be returned home to Ireland with her two year old child she says she has made a mistake travelling to the Islamic State and that she has nothing to hide uh, and a very extensive interview with her inside the, the paper um, Irish Daily Star on Sunday uh, Premier Footy Ace filmed sex assault it says a Premier League star has been accused of filming himself sexually assaulting a woman in a club while he was high on drink and drugs Sunday World uh, Gilligan's Ryanair Rage pint sized thug their words not mine uh, launches tirade at airport staff as he flies in from Spain uh, he has apparently been spotted at Alicante airport uh, getting charged to bring his cabin baggage into the cabin with him which makes him uh, much like anyone else who I suspect has travelled with Ryanair in the last few months since they changed that baggage policy the Irish Sun on Sunday McGregor exclusive Max Close Cole Conor McGregor was in a celebratory mood after his charges for allegedly smashing a fan's phone in Miami were reduced the star 30 was seen yesterday afternoon at a pub in the same clothes he wore to an MMA event on Friday night uh, this is to do with the fact that the charges that he's facing for uh, taking and smashing somebody's phone in Miami um, the charges have been downgraded somewhat so now he now merely faces the prospect of six years in jail which is seemingly something to be celebrated uh, according to their worldview. Um, the Irish Sunday Mirror Al Porter I thought about suicide former Today FM star opens up about problems and looks to the future um, he says he had revealed on Twitter that he had considered permanent solutions to temporary darkness but decided against because he knows there is a future. Um, onto the broadsheets the Sunday Times FAI refuses to say that Delaney will face loan probe. The FAI is refusing to say whether John Delaney is former chief executive and now it's executive vice president will attend an Oireachtas committee hearing on Wednesday. Yesterday a spokesman for the football body said the delegates wouldn't be confirmed until tomorrow and until then they have no further comment to make. The FAI had previously confirmed that Delaney would be attending the meeting of the Oireachtas Committee on Transport, Tourism and Sport this coming Wednesday but now is apparently uh, being a little bit more tentative about that. Uh, Sunday Independence, uh, underneath the uh, smaller headline of Varadkar, I am not a camera slut, uh, more of which anon. Um, property tax, the new trap. Uh, Philip Bryan points out uh, that a new property tax property tax trap threatens don't try reading that too quickly on a Sunday morning a new property tax trap threatens to force pensioners on low and fixed incomes to pay the tax for the first time because an increase in their state pension has pushed their annual income beyond the threshold for deferring the payment it seems that you can delay or defer your property tax payments if you have a household income uh, of lower than €25,000 but there's now a risk that if the pension uh, continues to go up or apparently because it has gone up uh, that two pensioners would now earn more than that over a year and that they would now have to pay the property tax because of the deferral of that uh, that review. And finally, the Sunday Business Post, uh, and rather than than having me explain this, I'll I'll let uh, Susan Mitchell herself explain it. Chief Medical Officer didn't back Simon Harris's free smear test offer. Uh, This is what Susan Mitchell had to say about her story when she was speaking on News Talk Breakfast this morning. Today I report that the state's Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Holohan, who is effectively the most senior government advisor on health-related matters, did not actually support the blanket offer that was made. 
Now, in recent times, Minister, the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, has said that his decision was supported by the Chief Medical Officer. But in fact, what the Chief Medical Officer supported was a very restricted offer that was supposed to have been made to concerned GPs, whereas what the Minister actually communicated was a free test to all women across the country. And though there might, it might seem like a subtle uh, difference between the two, it's an important or a significant difference um, because effectively there was a, what was communicated by the minister was any woman who wants one, pop down to your GP and get, get a smear test. So that's uh, Susan Mitchell who was speaking to Susan Keogh on News Talk Breakfast this morning. Now, the Department of Health, for, for its point, and Simon Harris during the week, uh, still insists that he wasn't given any uh, negative feedback or any sort of otherwise uh, you know, unwanted uh, input about the decision to extend free smear tests to anyone who wanted one, a decision that he announced on April the 28th last year. Um, Cronier, are we just getting to the point of a, a he said, she said, where you possibly have people who maybe are now retroactively revising their advice and suggesting that they weren't so supportive of something only now because they've seen how it has somewhat backfired. Well, that's what's, um, but that's an accusation that's been point, er, put to the opposition. So a lot of uh, Sinn Féin TDs at the time asked for this offer to be made. And then in retrospect, they said, well, it wasn't made in the right way. So yes, you should have offered this, but maybe given the additional resources to the, to the kind of the, med- the medical, the healthcare system, I suppose, as a whole to deal with this influx, this massive influx in offers. But we haven't just seen it from say, um, Grania Flanley says that she offered advice. Simon Harris says that it was after that he made made the announcement. Mm. But uh, I think if you look at the detail of it, um, they were only asked for their advice the day the day of the offer. Yeah, that the a offer few was hours made. before it was Exactly. So there's, there's a lot of nuance to this. So the state, both statements can be true. And uh, it's so it's not necessarily a he said, she said thing. Um, I think, though, as well, at the heart of this, the problem with discussing this topic is at the heart of it is trust in the national a national screening service, mm. and we want women to go and get checked because it does help um, spot changes and abnormalities before they happen. Uh, and th- but at the same time, there's a lot of I think the government has handled this so badly, um, and. Adker, at Christmas time, I think Bradker and Simon Harris said both it was the, the biggest scandal or the biggest low point mm. of both of their. I think that says a lot about how they feel they've handled the, the crisis or the controversy themselves. Yeah, no, I think that they everyone would recognise that it's been done slightly imperfectly. But I, I suppose, um, Colette Brown, the, the whole premise of I don't know whether you saw the Oireachtas Committee meeting that held was held this previous Wednesday, where it was on the morning after Grainne Flannelly had sent in this evidence suggesting that she had told Simon Harris beforehand that she wasn't on board with this decision. And yet all of the uh, significant senior servants, civil servants or people within the HSE who were at that Oireachtas committee meeting all did seem to still suggest that it was done for the right reasons or that they didn't necessarily have that much of a grievance with the decision after the fact or not. Yeah, I think um, what Simon Harris would say about this is that you've got to remember the time and the kind of frenzied, panicked atmosphere that was around at the time. You know, when you had Simon Harris coming into the doll, he didn't have correct figures in relation to the numbers of women that were affected. There was a whole load of confusion about the significance of the um, of the scandal, whether, you know, it meant that only a minority of women were affected or whether it spoke to something mm. wrong with this, you know, with the testing system itself. So, I mean, I, I think it was the wrong decision from Simon Harris, but I think he made it with the right intentions. He says that could he wanted... known that it was the wrong decision, though, at the time, which I suppose is what we're talking about. Well, well, well I think he could have if he had paused for a moment and thought about it a, b- a, a bit um, longer, because, I mean, 
the 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 screening service was under pressure as it was at the time, mm. um, and now we have a situation whereby there are eighty thousand women who are waiting, and you could be waiting up to nine months. And I mean, that's going to really undermine confidence in the smearing, in in the testing system if women have to wait so long to get their results back. Um, Jared Howland, you have been on the other side of the governmental fence. You've been involved as a special advisor to ministers, perhaps not with the same um, urgency or the same sort of level of public outcry as the subject of cervical check had this time last year. But do you think it's tenable that a minister might solicit advice uh, from somebody and then perhaps only receive their negative input into the process after the decision has somehow been made? Well, I think it's hugely underestimated outside politics how difficult it is to do nothing uh, and the value of doing nothing and of indecision at times uh, to simply wait uh, on events. And Minister Harris didn't manage to do nothing and he might have been better off if he had for 12 or 24 hours. Well, he There's might have been better from a policy point of view, but from a political point of view, would he have been better advised to sit and do nothing? Well, he would, if he had waited over 12 or 24 or 48 hours, been in the middle of a frenzy. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But in politics, you need to think, where am I going to be in a week's time? You're not paying, playing drafts, you're playing chess. I mean, what I remember um, about that time was, uh, you know, women ringing into Liveline, um, you know, some horrific stories, p- politicians coming under awful pressure. And this announcement, as far as I can recall, was widely welcomed yeah, by, the, by, by people at the time. The and, and it was welcomed as well by opposition mm. politicians who were now criticising the minister for making this, this, the decision that he did. So, I mean, I think the opposition, like in Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin, I think they're talking out of both sides of their mouth on this. Yeah, it was a point that the Taoiseach was making during the week that Micheál Martin who has now been so vocal about giving voice to these seeming concerns by Tony Holland and others that he was among the leaders who was welcoming the offer when it was extended at yeah, the time. Yeah, and impugning the characters of the you know people who were involved centrally in the um, cervical test system as the well, the people that they're now kind of you know sure, extolling the virtues One of the reasons of. why uh, women were so afraid was because the government were slow and um, to, to release the information on the scandal and cervical check themselves. To compile it so least, so yeah. this kind of frenzy happened because out of, which is actually at the heart of the scandal itself as well, not informing people, which is exactly why, you know, the, the reason why people were worried because these women weren't told their tests were reviewed. And then on a massive scale, the public weren't being told the essence of those tests. And there was a lot of like back and forth because of that, which caused, fed into the frenzy, if not caused it. Um, the thing that opposition TDs are saying now is that the resources should have been given to the laboratories to deal with this massive influx of of requests for smear tests. And that has only been done in December, January, months after that offer was given, even though Simon Harris was advised at the time, um, I think mm, in that, June, that immediately afterwards, that there was going to be, um, there, the lab cannot deal with this capacity and mm. we need help. And it wasn't done until months later. That is another massive problem. Uh, but the question you asked sure. me, which we haven't Is, is it tenable for a, a politician to do nothing in those circumstances? Uh, well, it is actually. Uh, and certainly if the matter for 12 or 24 hours to get the relevant advice in, in the round and to tease it out, uh, he would be in a much better place now. Uh, and so would the women affected if he had managed to do it. And I take a let's point about the opposition. Uh, opposition, uh, the nature of it is you do have an each way bet on every issue every mm. time. And, and, and that's what they're having. Uh, and, and I think, is it right? for a minister to reject official advice? The answer is categorically, of course it is. Advice is just that. Uh, whether you're a solicitor, you're an accountant, you're a civil servant, whatever. So of course he was entitled to do different than which he was advised. Mm. The issue is uh, that he, the, 
in what he said subsequently about that advice, is that going to hold true? So and the test of that <coughs> will be not snippets or parsing of snippets in newspapers. It is what relevant people are prepared to say in committee on camera next week. Uh, which, of course, then it will be interesting to see exactly what happens at that Oireachtas committee meeting next coming Wednesday. But it was at the meeting this Wednesday just gone that Granny Fanley, who was not there herself, but who sent in, her in that evidence to, to suggest that she had offered advice, that she was she was solicited for advice a few hours before Simon Harris ultimately issued the tweet, but she was told an hour later that effectively the decision had already been made. But Simon Harris stated on that very same day that he only started receiving some more critical advice after the decision had already been announced. Indeed, and I don't doubt that, that he did get uh, some of that advice only after the fact, which then goes back to, to whether he, he should have held off a, a little longer. Uh, and of course, the fact of something like that being tweeted, you know, if you have to write something down, old-fashioned style, or even tap it out on the keyboard, there's a much more conscious sort of mental process. But that the fact that we have sort of lurched happenstance into the tweeting of major policy decisions. It's literally like a hair trigger Is, is that not a, a slightly more superficial take on it, that it wouldn't have mattered whether he did it via Twitter or whether he had issued no, a full press release 10 it, minutes it, afterwards? It is, it's such an instantaneous way of doing things that it quickens the pace in an already sort of frenzied situation. I, I'm saying it's not helpful. I don't want to make it sound like it's the major issue. It's not, but it's, it's not helpful. I, mean, and I, I think, think this is all happening. systematic, by the way, of, of something deeper, is that the Department of Health is fractured as between the political head and the permanent civil service. Mm. Uh, and there's fractures too then within the official system. But is there's that a further a, fracture. a certain amount of what they're supposed to be? As you said yourself, that there's the, the question of what might be, you know, you can make a, a, a decision or offer advice mm. based on what you think is good for the system, but that the minister has to bring the political lens to all of this as well and that he is entitled if he sees fit to overrule advice. Not that Simon Harris says he did so in this case, but that he does have to make a political decision. And you do have to work with people. And I'm saying that my understanding is the Department of Health is not a happy place and that unhappiness is leading to bad outcomes. I mean, I, I think a criticism that could be levelled at the Minister is that if he didn't get this advice before he made the decision, then he should have you know, made it his business to get advice from the people who were centrally involved in the scheme before he made such a, you know, a huge decision, you know, committing resources and committing like GPs to, to doing all of this work. So, I mean, he says he didn't get the advice, but, you know, he probably should have sought and, it out. And then at the end of it, is he made this offer to uh, boost confidence in the cervical check programme when there was a lot of controversy going around it at the time. And it hasn't done that. So what? So why did he do that, make that offer? He made a political decision to do one thing and it hasn't done that. Well, we'll wait to hear what he says at that Oireachtas Committee this coming Wednesday. Uh, another story that's getting a lot of coverage, perhaps not necessarily as much in the Irish press, but certainly on the British front pages, it is, of course, yet again, uh, the B word. We made it to 11.17. That was a, perhaps an ambitious target for how long it would take us to get there. Um, the bottom of the Sunday Times, Theresa May is to offer Jeremy Corbyn a Boris-proof Brexit. Uh, this is apparently Boris-proof in the nature that she is going to offer some sort of a deal about the future relationship the UK intends to have with the European Union, but write it into law so that some future successor uh, will be unable to unpick it afterwards. Um, you'd have thought, Gronia, that if he wants to, she wants to enshrine such a deal into law, that she'd struggle to get it through the present parliament or indeed her own cabinet anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking this morning, how many times have we seen um, this is Theresa May's last ditch attempt to get her Brexit yeah. deal over the line. There have been lots of uh, ditches. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's, it's like the final, It's we're in the 11th hour perpetually now kind of thing. Um, and this is the, the kind of thing. I think there's a bizarre line of that story in particular was that uh, Labour might have a seat at the EU Council Summit next week to kind oh. of, because it's so political um, that, that an opposition party leader might be, might be part of the delegation might, that exactly, she's bringing. Exactly. I just kind of have this bizarre image of all the uh, European leaders and then Jeremy Corbyn there as well. And this kind of, I mean, what would, what would that solve? What would they discuss? That's the kind of um, bizarre political situation uh, context we're in at the moment. Um, I, I find it... And, and, and last night as well, Theresa May released a last minute statement saying we ourselves in Labour, we have a lot in common. We want to end free movement of people. Mm. We want to protect jobs and we want a good deal. And then even <laughs> in that, God, you're you're struggling for things um, so much yes. that you have to include a good the, deal. The, the Tony Blair is, rule of threes that you decided you, we both <laughs> like ice cream and breathing in oxygen basically <laughs> is your way of doing it. Um, Colette, would the idea of having Jeremy Corbyn not at the table, but at least part of the British delegation in the room, could it be an attempt for Theresa May to try and illustrate to those who are not in her shoes just how difficult it is to navigate something through the European Council. Who knows what her thinking is at this point. I mean, Theresa May, when she took over as Prime Minister, she was supposed to be a safe pair of hands. But actually, the only thing she can be relied upon now is, you know, consistent failure. Everything that has po- could possibly go wrong has gone wrong. Well, at least she's consistent. There was much, I mean, there was much fanfare when she reached out to Labour in desperation towards the end of, of last week. And after two days of talks, Labour said that actually uh, the Tories had no kind of you know, negotiation in mind, no compromise in mind. She wasn't willing to reopen the political declaration Mm. or the withdrawal agreement. She only wanted to have an accompanying memo. Um, So currently the Tories have said that now they will include a customs union in their plan, but they want Labour to call it something else because a customs union is too too politically toxic for her to to get it it through her party. And there was a very good cartoon on the front page of the Telegraph during the week, one of the Matt cartoons. And it was... um, two guys talking and one of them saying to the other that if you want to know what's going to happen next in Brexit just think about how, how the situation could possibly get worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it does seem to, to keep lurching that way. We will be talking in the next hour to Philip Webster the former uh, political editor of the Times of London but it does have the interesting knock-on question Jared. if um, the European Council ends up uh, offering this 12-month extension as Donald Tusk has proposed for this coming Wednesday. And if Theresa May accepts it and Britain ends up having this ongoing participation and it's another 12 months potentially before we reach some sort of conclusion, does it uh, perhaps raise the ante that it makes it a lot harder for the Irish confidence and supply situation to remain tenable if Brexit has now been kicked into the long grass and to a time when we expected to have a general election of our own anyway? Well... It depends on what circumstances, because I, I can see uh, Leo Varadkar being horribly trapped in government for a lot longer than he has planned. Um, <laughs> trapped, uh, trapped in government buildings. Trapped in government that's, buildings. That's an unusual turn of phrase. Uh, a, 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 bit, a bit like you know, Napoleon in Moscow during the winter uh, and during a winter of discontent for domestic policy reasons, because if, if this is a continually evolving situation and there is no clear gap in the ditch to allow him to get out the gate of government mm. buildings, uh, then he won't have a, a basis on which to go. And Would Fianna Fáil be happy to keep him in order to come as trapped in government buildings sure for a while ev- and allow the to, to wear off? I'm not sure everyone in Fianna Fáil has the continence or, or the wisdom to understand that it is a very, 
very good idea to do just that. But I think there are some who understand uh, that um, th- the thing to do is to keep him there because every shine must tarnish um, and time takes its toll. The gap is narrowing incrementally, slightly, and the longer he's in, the narrower the gap the better the chance, which, by the way, not just for Micheál Martin personally, but for some of his front bench is actually their last chance for them personally to Mm. be in government. Um, In a sentence, when is the next general election going to be? I think next year. When next year? I don't know. Okay, Uh, Colette Brown, when is the next general election going to be? Next year. I think <laughs> kick it for touch. Uh, <laughs> Grania, in a slightly more specific way, uh, when is the next general election going to? <laughs> I think well, just looking at Brexit, we're always talking about oh, a year extension means you know the UK can have a general election, mm. and I suppose it means the same for us. <laughs> it, it does. Because it's like yeah. the parallel kind of uh, universe. Um, I think it massively de- like you know Fianna Fáil really want to push the cervical check issue, the National Children's Hospital issue. So it depends on how much they can restrain themselves. We've already seen fighting between the two sides on these mm. kind of issues. So, I mean, yeah, they, they, I suppose the whole question is whether they can contrive some reason that they haven't come up with before now that they say that now and, justifies yeah. cutting and running. And, and whatever no, political scandal, Leo, comes. I, I think Leo what being mean to, to them in his speeches could be one of the reasons because yes. at, their, at, 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 at their order, he was pretty scathing about about Michael Martin and Fianna Fáil. But what so. could be better for Fianna Fáil than weakened, damaged ministers in government over months and months to be further damaged and more weakened? Well, that they're supporting those ministers in government is the issue that they have to well, deal with. Well, they're torturing them as well. Well, uh, Brexit, I Bre- Bre- Brexit, I think, has been a win for the, for, for the government correct. in that they've performed well in the negotiations. Yes, the Irish I, Diplomatic I, Service has done a brilliant job of like um, explaining to EU leaders all over the continent about the importance of the backstop and, 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 and the Irish border. I, I absolutely so. agree with you, but I think the Brexit bounce is factored into the government's poll numbers. Um, we will talk a little bit more about that political chess game after the break and whether the decision to delay property tax is perhaps a sign that the could be an election on the cards. Don't go away. What did yeah. you think of the letter? Um, I, I thought he, he's a bit of um, a camera slot. <laughs> 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 uh, Can you imagine me in the Department of Justice writing a letter like that? Uh, Michael McDougall, the uh, now Senator, former Attorney General, former Minister for Justice, former TD for Dublin Bay South uh, on the Late Late Show on Friday night. Uh, not terribly impressed with Leo Varadkar's uh, letter to Kylie Minogue when she was staying across the road from government buildings uh, last uh, autumn. Um, a fair amount written in today's Sunday papers about Leo and the whole handling of the PR. Um, first of all, I am minded, uh, I won't repeat Michael McDool's phrase just there, but show me any politician against whom that accusation of being a camera slut, frankly, could not apply. I, I think it's, um, you know, it's a, a, a characteristic that's essential for the job. Every single politician is a camera slut and, you know, they, yeah. they, they, they never walk past a microphone if they have the ability to to comment on it. Mm. I think poor poor Leo's getting a bit, a bit of stick for this and, you know, fair enough, he was fangirling um, Kylie, but I think the real issue here is the fact that the department tried to stop the letter from, be, from, from being released, even though it was written yeah. on Department of Taoiseach headed paper. Uh, Leo Varag wrote it in his capacity as Prime Minister he was invited yeah, or he was asking Kylie to come visit all, him All of which though you mentioned the fact that uh, the Department of the Taoiseach twice refused FOI requests to release that letter which then brings you to the other thing that you can say about accusations of being a camera slut it's mm. very difficult uh, to be so camera slutty Gronje, yeah, isn't it? Was, when they're they're trying not to release the letter in the first that place That was kind of my <laughs> I was like that, that heading is completely jarring what actually what happened which is like he didn't write the letter and then tweet it out which would be different mm. he wrote the letter and then then twice tried to refuse the letter um, when when the, an FOI request went 
in. So I think actually that is a really you might want to apply it in, in a different context or on a, for different reasons. But in this context, it actually doesn't make any sense. Mm. Uh, there's an editorial about this in the Sunday Times. Jared, uh, I want to pick your brain about it. Um, it's about the whole step back in time and that uh, it would have been less embarrassing for Leo Varadkar had somebody unearthed his sixth class homework journal with I heart Kylie uh, scrawled on the cover. But what the Sunday Times does say is that while he was a fair target over the tone of the missive, that there's an unpleasant undertone to some of the comment that has been scoffed at its object. Had it been a male rock star or a sportsman, there would have been little fuss. But Kylie Minogue is a gay icon and so the mocking of Mr. Varadkar's devotion takes a sideswipe at his sexuality. Do you agree? Perhaps I can't read into people's minds, um, so maybe there was a, a bit of homophobia in in, in some of it. Um, I, I hope not. I think the Taoiseach, you know, who I, say, I saw nothing wrong with the letter. I saw a brilliant tweet, by the way. I wish I had thought it up, but I didn't. Uh, that said, you know, what's all this fuss about? Why should Kylie be treated differently to any other head of state? And be, <laughs> <laughs> and be written to on government headed paper. You know, as a great Kylie fan myself, may I say, my annoyance with Leo mm. is is that he tried to ghost Kylie and deny her twice <laughs> that he had written uh, and, and appropriately, uh, uh, you know. Um, mm. F- f- fan letter it's a storm on a saucer um, and by the way Michael McDowell who I know and admire for, for many times he's an old microphone slot himself <laughs> <laughs> so so he really now want that's, to take it that's easy the, uh, that, that's a, a soundbite that might be cut out and used at some other points and apologies <laughs> to anyone who's offended by the repetitive use uh, of the S word uh, as regards this particular conversation um, is there something correct though about that editorial Colette because if it had been the entirely plausible uh, scenario of Alex Ferguson staying in the Marion Hotel and Bertie Ahern sending a handwritten note over the road. Nobody would pass the blind bit of notice to it, would they? Yeah, but I, I don't think the note would probably have been as fawning. I mean, the Kylie, I suppose she's not like she's not seen as um, apologies to any Kylie fans out there, but not seen as a, you know, a serious kind of mu- music artist, maybe a bit fr- frivolous, a bit fun. Mm. And maybe the, the tone of the letter kind of it wasn't deemed to be appropriate for a prime minister to be sending that or a teacher to be Ending that on, on Department of Head and uh, No Paper. But I, I, I can see an argument where the Sunday Times is coming from. Um, the one thing that I think was also uh, quite bizarre about it all was that um, the Department of the Taoiseach, at the point you made, Gronia, that they were trying to uh, deny this even though it was written on headed notepaper. Headed um, if it were a personal note, surely the Department of the Taoiseach would not have kept a copy of it on file, which then could be accessible through I mean, it was, FOI ridi- anyway. it was a ridiculous argument. And then even in the letter itself, it said, I'm only across the road from you. <laughs> and that is the, the, the Taoiseach's... Yeah, exactly. Yes. So in <laughs> that over the road, there, yeah. <laughs> that's not his private residence. Yeah. So you know, um, I think as well though uh, the the whole uh, the the reaction to it uh, from the public was was you know um, not complimentary, but it was very positive. Uh, so I think that the whole. Uh, the, the essence of the letter being written to Kylie and written on governmental paper, I don't think people mind that much. Like people were asking, what uh, musician would you write to if you were mm. uh, Taoiseach and that kind of thing. I don't think it, it was at all derogatory, the kind of the reaction to it. It was more so that he tried to as Jared uh, said, deny that he ever wrote to, to yes. Kylie. Uh, I, I, well, uh, whether, whether he was denying it or not, though, I'm not entirely sure because he had actually spoken about this letter when he appeared on the aforementioned Late Late Show uh, just before Christmas. Uh, by the by, we should clarify that the, the Sunday Times editorial uh, is not talking about the contribution of Michael McDowell to the debate about Leo Varadkar and his letters to Kylie Minogue. And I might just say on the record, if I were ever to be a resident of government buildings and either of the Gallagher brothers uh, were staying in the <laughs> Marion Hotel across the street, I would have no qualms in 
writing a note and asking if they wanted to come over for a little bit of a chinwag. Um, we talked before the break about the game of political chess that's uh, that may be underway between the two major parties. And, and to that subject, um, there's a bit in today's papers about the question marks about property tax. We mentioned the Sunday Times front page, which is effectively that the refusal to um, review property tax now means that some pensioners will end up paying it for the first time later this year. Um, Jared Howland, there is a lot of perhaps cynical take that this has been delayed until after the local elections precisely because the local elections are on the way. Um, Do you buy into that? I certainly do. Um, And it was delayed before by Minister Michael Noonan in advance of a general election. Uh, So this is what this is about, uh, pure and simple. So when the Uh, government says that it's because they want to get in the uh, approval or the feedback of the Oireachtas Committee on Budgetary Oversight and that they want to have some sort of cross-spectrum consensus on the future of a fairly significant tax measure. You don't buy it? No. Um, and, and I suppose the, the net point of today's piece is that two pensioners, a couple on, on the full pension, will get €25,800, whereas the um, threshold for having to pay property tax mm. in terms of income limits of €25,000. So some people will be pushed in. But what these articles curiously leave out is how lopsided our whole tax system is. I mean, uh, property tax has gone from being over 1% of the total tax take to being now under 1%. And and furthermore, you know, people on lower incomes uh, pay much, much less in Ireland across the board than they do in any comparable uh, other Western European economy. So if you earn €18,000 or, or less in mm. Ireland, you are paying about €480 in tax. In Germany, that would be 4679 In the United Kingdom, it would be 1000 895. So we, uh, for people on modest incomes, uh, charge really little in taxes and charges. We have a huge dependency on taxes on labour, hence people going into the higher rate of tax at at, at so low a point. And now we have this dependency on corporation tax, which mirrors perilously our dependency during the noughties on transaction taxes, which came from the building boom. This was the lesson we said we'd learned. And because we're not willing to have water charges, Mm. because we're not willing to expand an anemic property tax, because we're not uh, willing to to grapple with, with carbon taxes that are meaningful, yes, we have a tax base as lopsided, as perilous as we did before, before the crash. Um, Colette, on Jared's point about the relatively low taxes that Ireland uh, levies on that sort of income relative to other countries, I mean, I'm sure everything is relative and individual circumstances are what they are. Um, but are we a little politically beholden in Ireland to pensioners and that it seems that yeah, everyone still has the, the visions of the, the medical cards protest ringing in their ears and that if someone was to levy a property tax, which may be quite significant on a household that didn't previously have to pay it, but that if in the grand scheme of things it's not much of a tax burden for the whole household, that p- politicians will just run from it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the Grey vote as a demographic who vote more than any other demographic politicians are in fear of their life of doing anything to upset them or annoy them. Um, and I did think it was quite funny that uh, the minister made a decision to defer the property tax till at least uh, an increase in the property tax till at least 2021. And the Sunday Indo has managed to find a negative aspect of that. <laughs> yes. and, 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 and a small group of people who will be impacted just because they've increased the pension 
pension said that the combined pension would be 25,800 and the household income has to be 25 or 25,000 if mm. you want to defer it. And I mean, I think the key word there is defer. It's a deferral is a, it's, it's a key it's, point. It's, yeah. it's, an, it's not as if you never have to pay this. You do have to pay it. And actually, I think even if you do defer the tax, then there is um, an interest liability that accrues, I think, of three or four percent. So, I mean, it's not exactly a great system the the the, the way it is. But I mean, undoubtedly, the government um, are, are doing this for political reasons. They don't want in advance of the local elections, European elections, they don't want a water charges type debate to be raging about property tax. And I did think it was quite amusing to hear Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin TDs criticising the minister for kicking the can down the road. Sinn Féin, who are vehemently against property taxes in the first place and want them abolished. And Fianna Fáil, who would have no intention of increasing the rates either, I suspect. Well, well on the point about Fianna Fáil's input and um, Grania, I wonder what you think about this, because it struck me as being very odd that the government has kicked this to the Oireachtas Committee on Budgetary Oversight because it wants to have this cross-spectrum consensus about what to do with taxes. If it were any other tax uh, contentious, no matter what time of a, an election cycle it might be, any other tax measure, if Fine Gael were in power at the present time, would just be checked out with Fianna Fáil first and once they were on board, you'd have a majority in the doll and that would be enough. So why is it that this one is being treated differently? Oh, I mean, that's, that's good. it's a good question. I think that the... I think it's a really interesting point about how we handle tax and how it's viewed in, in Ireland in general. I, I'm kind of loath to compare Ireland to other countries um, because there is a different the society and how it views taxes and whether it wants to pay them or not is a mm. massive part of whether you should implement it or how you should change it or if you should change it. And um, so the, the comparison to other countries is sometimes uh, dangerous. Um, I think the the difference uh, towards the other thing we're dealing with here is Ireland's view towards owning a property mm. um, and that we all should have a house kind of thing. And that plays into the whole housing crisis thing. Um, I think the the other thing about uh, the old vote that Colette, Colette was mentioning is the how the old vote outweighs the young vote. Even if the youth were to go out and vote constantly, that it would constantly outweigh, or they would be really lesser than the older vote. Mm. And at the heart of this, the housing crisis is how we're going to provide for young people and whether they'll own houses and things like that. So they're, they're all kind of interconnected um, and there's a, there's a massive problem at whatever way you look at it. Well, on, on that point then, and go back to, to your point, Jared, um, about the, the political chess match and how advantageous it might be for Fianna Fáil to leave Fine Gael in government buildings for a little bit longer. If Fianna Fáil were to trap Leo Varadkar and Pascal Donoghue into their respective offices and then accuse them of being the sole people who ended up levying property tax on most pensioners, wouldn't it again be uh, another good reason that Fine Gael might be kicking this to touch to avoid it being an issue for a local election, but it could become an issue for a general election pretty shortly afterwards if they're not careful? Indeed, because it's all about timings. Um, and, you know, are you planning for an election before the summer, after the summer, but before the budget uh, next spring or sometime thereafter? And timing is everything. Uh, so when you, it's all very well to kick the can down the road, but you kick the can for three months, six months, nine months. And the problem Leo Varadkar has in this government generally is that it's always in the running to an election that has never yet taken place. Mm. Uh, and I know we're reviewing the Sunday newspapers here, but there was a magnificent read yesterday in the Irish Times, Jack Horgan Jones, about the housing mm. market here and how it's really fundamentally changing and how that affects people, pensions, politics. 18.8% of 
all households are now in the private rented sector and that's growing and the effect of people renting for much longer or permanently and the, f- the knock-on effect that that will have on them as pensioners because the whole Irish pension situation mm. is based, based on, on free housing paid because either you're in social your housing where you have a minimal charge for your, for your housing or you've paid off the mortgage and so you don't have that bill to pay. That is changing. So for people like me, who are by far the oldest person in this little conversation, <laughs> yes, I'm all right, Jack, but I can tell you this much, for people who are 10 or 15 years younger than me, it is truly horrible. Is that part of the reason why Colette Leo Varadkar has been so vocal again in recent times about trying to increase the proportion of people who are homeowners, which is now around 70% and he wants to get that back up again and he's talking about the aspiration of people owning their own homes, which is fine because it gets them out of the rental sector, but it also means they end up liable for property tax, doesn't it? Yeah, but it, and he's talking about that, but in the absence of them actually building any houses, you know, it isn't, uh, it, 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 it isn't very constructive if you've pardoned the pond I think the whole property tax debate as well and the decision of the minister to kick the can down the road for another two years, I think it underscores the fact that there's a hypocrisy in government um, in relation to the rhetoric around like taxation. Uh, the minister himself would like like to bill himself as fiscally prudent and mm. cautious and trying to balance out the tax take and not being reliant on, you know, transient taxes that might disappear, you know, one year or another. And then when he's given an opportunity to do that, and I mean, remember this, I mean, the, there have been plans to amend or change the property tax going back since it was supposed to, the change was supposed to come in in, in 2016. It was initially. Michael Noonan before the last general election. So, I mean, this, I mean, the, 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 the the can has been kicked. That <laughs> poor can wouldn't be recycled. Yeah. It wouldn't be recycled. It wouldn't be let into a recycling bin. Into a crevice somewhere. <laughs> um, a texter has gotten in touch to 53106 saying that if I'm prepared to put my colours to the mast and say which musician I would write to were they resident in Marion Hotel uh, across the road from government buildings, they also want to know which of the three you would write to. Uh, Grani, I'll start with you. Oh, uh, Paul McCartney, probably. Good shout. Um, yeah. uh, Colette? I wouldn't abuse my position in such a fashion. Lies. I can't wait to FOI your letter when you're resident in this day, Jared. In the circumstances, it has to be Kylie. Yeah, and at least you're, you're consistent <laughs> on that point, at least. Um, there's a fair bit written in today's papers, too, about the whole question of school patronage, which was brought to a head, Colette, earlier this week by uh, some of the communiques from schools in North Dublin, uh, suggesting that somehow grandparents were an exclusively Catholic phenomenon. Grandparents are going to be banned. Halloween will be banned. Easter will be banned. Christmas will be banned. You won't be allowed I to mean, say witch. It was just extraordinary. And I think, like, on, on a serious note, the school, I think it was the school that released that statement, wasn't it? There seemed to be some confusion initially over who exactly had authored the document yeah. that, that, that that was released. But there, there was a claim that child safety could be imperiled if this the school was divested. On the premise that they don't wear uniforms, so it's harder to do a head count if and, you bring them on a school and tour. And so if they went on a school tour, all the children would go missing and be lost. And, you know, you'd, you don't, you'd only have the divestment programme to, 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 to thank for it. Mm. There was an interesting letter to the Irish Times during the week actually a gentleman who lived in Malahide I think and his children go to one of the schools and he had gone along to one of these meetings in advance and he said it it seemed to him like the entire process was set up to fail so if parents voted for the divestment programme they didn't know which patron it would go to which patron it was so there was no people are oper- operating in an information vacuum and meanwhile you it's, have all of these school kind Brexit of, basically yeah, that, you know, you're voting to change the status quo but you have no idea what the new scenario is going to be yeah and in the, mean, in, in the meantime you have all of these hysterical claims being made by you know people who may or may not be involved in, <laughs> yeah. in, in schools Project in the theory. area yeah. and even David Quinn writing in the um, Sunday Times today admits that it was over the top much of the commentary was mm. over the 
top and he says look there's a need for schools to be divested more than 90% of primary schools in the country are Catholic you know we we, we, we need to have um you know, more diversity. Uh, this is a programme that has to go ahead and it just seems that the government isn't doing it in a very, in a you know, very coherent way and isn't sharing the information that parents should have, you know, when they are making decisions like uh, this. Grani, do you agree with the uh, the premise put behind by that Irish Times letter writer during the week that the system effectively has been engineered to fail? Uh, it's, I mean, it's... Uh, I suppose it's an interesting point. I'd, I'd, I'd divert to the to the expertise of a parent in this kind of situation. Mm. Um, but I think that it does play into a really important conversation about our education system and the, the separation of kind of church and state. And this is being kind of one of those uh, branches, I suppose, of that debate. Um, I don't... I don't think, you know, when they were, I think it was mentioned before as well that there was a talk of banning Halloween and that's not uh, something to do with religion at all, but it plays yeah, into this they expectation. They say it was all Hallow's Eve and that it was the day before All Saints Day and All Souls Day or something like the that. Easter the Easter Bunny of all Souls. is gone. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> it, it, I suppose it's like it's this expectation of what you, you learn at school or what you do at school. And if that changes at all, you're, you feel a bit uneasy about it. That's what I did when I was mm. in school and that kind of a, a fear of, of change uh, and the not knowing as well what it could uh, diverge to. Um, Jared, I don't know who was responsible for some of those school communiques, whether it was the principal or the board of management and I don't Sounds want to... Sounds like a fairly typical election campaign. Well, yeah, well I was, I was actually going to, going to make that point, but, uh, but I suppose... Project fear. Is, isn't there's always the danger though that any, uh, the status quo in any case is going to be fairly reluctant to change and whether it's the board of management of a Catholic school or the principal of a Catholic school who is perfectly happy with that patronage, aren't they always going to be some what resistance to any change so that ultimately if you are going to have a change of patronage that you can't just leave the whole thing uh, or the whole responsibility for communications in the hands of people who are naturally disposed towards keeping the present situation. Yeah, I'm not a parent and I, I just have a suspicion that I think some people feel very strongly about this and there's a vast group of parents in, in the middle who perhaps are quite interested um, but in a situation where Catholic schools are not nearly as Catholic as they used to be, the statues might still be there, mm. but the nuns and brothers are long gone. Um, perhaps there's some prayers and, and, and so forth. The real concern is not ideology, it's about quality of education. And if there a change, if there's a change, the biggest thing they need to know is that the quality of education will be continued or improved and it won't be in some way de- de- detrimental. Mm. Uh, and I think the people who feel really strongly about the other issues, I- I'm not sure they are the majority, but I could be wrong about that. I'm not in the scene. Mm. But I am do live be- beside two primary schools for years and years. And they, it's a caricature because there's a convent school uh, where there are a couple of elderly uh, sisters who do not teach and it is like the United Nations. There's little kids of every colour. Uh, there are it's clearly very working class kids coming to it. Uh, and then there is an educated part school literally 100 yards away. And it is so white, middle class, latte drinking, guardian reading. Children shouldn't uh, be drinking. <laughs> 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 well, they're, 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 uh, you know, it is a caricature. <laughs> it is comical. Mm. Uh, and in fact, it, you know, the poor of the North Inner City and the diversity of the North Inner City are going to the convent school. Mm. And that other school, which apparently, if I read the news, it's the one that's most is diversity. diverse. But me inclusive. walking up and down on that same street every day, I see diversity 
in the convent school where it's not supposed to be and I see monochrome white middle class in the Educate Together school that is supposedly Anyway, mm. it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm only a bystander. I only walk up and down the street for the last 15 years. But that is the evidence in front no, of me. No, well, at least it's, uh, I'm sure other anecdotes are available, but it is an observation. Uh, of course, the Catholic Church did announce on Friday evening, aside from the concession that there had been some misinformation about the whole thing, uh, which I think was a laudable admission from them, they announced that they were going to delay the whole thing until they ballot uh, the parents of uh, pre-primary pupils uh, something this week about exactly what sort of denominations they're looking for. Um, we've got about two and a half minutes left so just before we, we have to wrap up um, the interview with the uh, the inverted commas Isis Bride Lisa Smith who's on the front page of the Irish Mail on Sunday um, she says quite straightforwardly Colette that she made a mistake travelling to Islamic State she has nothing to hide and she wants to come home Yeah she hasn't done much for Dundalk tourism because she's saying Raqqa under Isis was life was like back home just like back home yeah. and then, then goes, County Council would be too pleased with and that then, <laughs> and, then, and then goes on to detail how she was driving down the street and saw a man crucified at the side of the road so I mean I, I don't think it was probably necessarily exactly like home it's just an extraordinary interview and and it's weird as well because the quotes she gives, it's like English is her second language. It's kind of very, yeah, it's, very it's incoherent. It's somehow, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it details, you know, how she converted to um, being a Muslim. She married a Tunisian man. She moved to Tunisia. Mm. She tried to convince him to go to Syria to fight for ISIS and he refused, saying that they mm. were a terrible people. And she just had it off herself and uh, married a British fighter then, had a child by him and claimed that she was doing nothing you know of a kind of combative nature yeah. uh, for the last number it's, of it's years It's a tricky balance She was though, less to an ISIS bride as somebody who went ISIS husband Hunting. Yeah, hunting. Well, yes. yeah, which I suppose is 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 why I, I said it in inverted commas because I don't know if everyone mm. would agree with that characterization. But I suppose, Grania, that the the tricky thing here is if somebody genuinely regrets what they've done, that they ought to be given a second chance or a chance to uh, to rehabilitate if you want to look at it that way but equally she did try to convince somebody to go and fight for a caliphate a recognised illegal organisation and there has to be consequences to that too Yeah there's an interesting quote where she said where it, it talks about you know it was a bad decision as a mother kind of to go over there and she says I wasn't I wasn't a mother when I left I came as a single person I thought if I died here I died but when I had a child I became different I think that's interesting, though, because her child is two years old. Mm. So in those two years where she felt like that and stayed and at the moment now she wants to come home, which is the same time when ISIS are losing territory. So that um, is the, const- the the global debate that we're having at the moment. Mm. Um, Leo Radker said that if she were t- uh, the talk about um, bringing her home is the first question you have to ask is, does she want to come home? Which she says she, she, does. she does. And the second thing is, should, do the Syrians want to put her on trial? Um, and if not, do we want to kind of try to uh, persecute her for mm. alleged crimes? Um, I think the thing about that is whatever uh, about what Lisa Smith did or didn't do is her child is is the, the other factor in this yes. debate where whatever about she, what she may have done, there is a possibly an Irish citizen over there that we have an obligation to and what happens with this child. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jared, in, in about uh, 15 seconds that we have left, how do you see this all playing out? These are Irish citizens. We have obligations. If there are judicial issues to be dealt with, then that's a separate matter for the relevant authorities. But we do have a duty of care for all of our citizens. OK, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, thank you all for coming in this morning. Really do appreciate all of your time. Growing in the A, reported with the journal.ie. Colette Brown, barrister and columnist with the Irish Independent and Jared Howland, columnist with the Irish Examiner and public affairs consultant. Thank you all very much.